Well, good morning. Turn, if you would, to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to read the first four verses as we get started this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, the story of David and Jonathan today. 1 Samuel 18, I'm reading from New American Standard Bible, verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him, David, that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Let's pray. Father, we do just come into your presence. We pray that you would uh, use this story of David and Jonathan to speak to our own hearts. And so we give you this time asking that your still uh, small voice would be heard, not mine. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Because of Saul's disobedience uh, to God's word, God had rejected him as king. And uh, Samuel anointed David. And so we have a problem. And the problem is a problem of changing kings. It's not a problem when the first king's dead, but it's a big problem when the, the king is very much alive. And the problem was, outwardly, Saul looked good, but inwardly was not. Outwardly, Saul looked kingly. He was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And David? David looked like a teenage boy. Outwardly, Saul looked successful. He had three uh, seeming victories over the enemies of Israel under his belt. Uh, this was the reason the Israelites wanted a king in the first place. We saw uh, the first week, the Ammonites were threatening Jabesh Gilead. They wanted a king to go and fight for them. And Saul went and defeated them. Next, Saul defeated the Philistines, although it was really Jonathan. And Saul made a, wrath, a rash oath that kept the victory from being all that it could have been. And then Saul seemingly had a great victory against the Amalekites. He brought the king of the Amalekites back. He brought all these animals as spoils. But Saul disobeyed God's specific commands that all of that was to be destroyed and killed. But outwardly, Saul looked good. Everything that you saw about Saul, why make a change? This guy looks like a king. This guy is victorious over our enemies. Why would we want to make a king? When God sent Samuel to anoint a new king, he saw David's oldest brother Eliab and thought, this is the one. But God told him, God sees not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And we talked about the heart in the first session. Later, to the prophet Zechariah, uh, the Lord told him to tell the leader of the Jews in that day, Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The key is always the heart. And so uh, God had given Saul his spirit to equip him and enable him to be king, but because of Saul's blatant disobedience to God's word, God took his spirit away from Saul. 
And as we follow David and Saul uh, through the next number of chapters, uh, we're going to see the deterioration of Saul's outward success because of inward emptiness. Because you see, the state of the inward eventually surfaces to the outward. And that's an important lesson. You can fool everybody sitting around you. God sees your heart. And Satan is constantly attacking the heart. We'll, we'll see this in David's life uh, uh, again next week. So how do you introduce a new king? Well, the first thing is make it memorable. Any story that has a nine and a half foot tall giant is going to be memorable. When the Israelite soldiers returned from the great victory over the Philistines, how many homes do you think the main story being told was about this young teenage boy who went out there with no spear, no sword, no armor, took on this nine and a half foot giant who was completely armored and won the victory? I, I suspect every home heard that story. God put David on Israel's radar. You know, when God wants to put one of his servants in a sphere of influence, he can do it very quickly. Joseph went from being a prisoner to being the second person in power in Egypt in a matter of hours. It takes longer to prepare a servant for the sphere of leadership. So it took 13 years for Joseph to be in Potiphar's house as a slave and, and in prison to prepare him for that role. Sometimes uh, the preparation comes after the announcement. Sometimes it comes before. So Saul on the road to Damascus is told, you're going to speak my name before kings and Gentiles and all the rest. And then God takes him into the desert. And then God takes him up to Tarsus, and he does the training after he announces it. David's been anointed king. He has some real sterling qualities that we saw, but now God's going to take the next several years and train him to be the man who can uh, complete the purposes of God in his generation. Not only was it memorable, but God used that to contrast the two, the two men, King Saul and the anointed David. And the first thing we saw, and Tony talked about, the courage of, of David. And, and contrast to that, you see the cowardice of um, Saul. They sent out a giant fully armed. Who was the tallest man in Israel? Saul. Who was one of the few men in Israel, according to 1 Samuel 13, who had armor? Saul. Who should have gone out and fought the giant? Saul. But he didn't. David did. And then we have the contrast between David's faith, and Tony spoke of David's faith and his dependence on God, and, and Saul's fear, that's what's in his heart. That's what people don't see. They saw his cowardice, but they didn't see the fear that filled his heart. And we've seen Saul choose fear over faith. The first time he fought the Philistines, he was supposed to wait for Samuel to come seven days 
and Samuel would offer the sacrifices and, and then they would go to war. And he didn't wait. Samuel was a little late. He saw the people scattering from him. And in fear, he set aside God's order and he offered sacrifices and Samuel showed up. That cost him the dynasty. Uh, God, Samuel said, you're, you're not going to have a dynasty. God's still going to allow you to be king, but you're not going to have a dynasty. But that inward fear, and, uh, and it expresses itself in this cowardice. And then the third contrast was David's declaration back in chapter 17. He says in verse 47, Oh, the end of verse 46, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and all this assembly may know the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You have David's great declaration and contrast to that under Saul, you have Goliath's 40 days of reproach where he reproached the armies of the living God. Um, David stands for God. Saul allowed God's name to be besmirched and Israel to be reproached. And the result is God's glory is proclaimed and demonstrated not only to the Israelites, but also to the Philistines. All this assembly will know, David said. The contrast between Saul and David is also seen in what gets under their skin. In chapter 18, look at verse 7. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry with this, and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand, but to me they have ascribed thousands. David's ten times better than Saul. That's what the women were saying. And Saul, who's concerned about his glory, that really gets under his skin. David, what got under David's skin? This guy is reproaching the armies of the living God. That's what got under David's skin, the glory of God. And so God uses David to proclaim and demonstrate the glory of God. So we're going we're gonna to look at, at David and Jonathan this morning. God gives David a close friend in Jonathan. Now, God had previously brought uh, David to the throne room uh, over in, in chapter 16, uh, verse 14. It says, Now a spirit, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servant said, Now behold, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing him. Let our Lord command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who's a skillful player on the harp. It shall come about when the evil spirit of from God is upon you, he shall play the harp in his hand, you will be well. Saul said, go get it. And, and someone said, well, I know this guy, David. He's skillful. And so God had brought David, and David would come and play for Saul when he was struggling, and then he would go back and take care of the sheep. So God had already brought David into the palace. He was meeting the people, kind of like Joseph did in prison where he met the cupbearer and uh, even in Potiphar's house, meeting some of the important people uh, of Israel. Um, at the end of chapter 17, uh, look at verse 57. 
So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse of the Bethlehemite. Some people that, that criticize the Bible say, Well, he knew who, who David was. But see, the question there isn't who David is. It's who David's father is. Because David's father's family is now free from taxation in the land of Israel uh, because he killed Goliath. And so Saul's asking, who's this family? We need to make sure we have the right family, the right, uh, know who all the family is because they're never going to pay taxes anymore. Um, And so there's not um, this discrepancy that some people claim. But God's going to give David a friend, uh, a friend who's going to be there, who's going to help him during difficult times. And you know, the Bible talks about the importance of friendship. Um, Ecclesiastes 9, 4 to 12, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls Uh, When there's not one to lift him up, it goes on and says, one won't be warm, but two laying together can be warm. And it ends with, if one can overpower him who's alone, two can resist him. There's strength in friendship. It provides protection. It provides comfort. It it provides the ability to do more. If you have something that's too hard for one person to move, two can often get it done. And so the scripture says, it's good to have friends. Friendship has real importance. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Uh, The interchange of ideas brings a helpful breadth of views that makes one clear in one's own thinking. There's a a strengthening of a person. Uh, John Phillips, the great commentator, uh, wrote a, wrote a commentary on Proverbs, and on this proverb, he, he pointed out he was put in charge of turning Emmaus, or not Emmaus, a Moody Bible Institute courses into correspondence courses, and his responsibility was to write the questions that the students would have to answer. And he said, you know, it's really hard to write good questions. But he said, I had two men, the, the man who was put in charge of the correspondence school and the man who had to answer all the students' questions. And my questions would go first to the one man and he would make some suggestions and we would talk it over. Then it would go to the other man and then the three of us would get together. And he said, that time together, looking at these questions from different perspectives, from the man who was putting the courses together to the man who was going to have to answer the students' uh, questions, to, to my own view on it. He said it improved those questions. And so having a friend can, can sharpen you, can, can help you be better. Proverbs 27 has a number of other verses on friends. Verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to a friend. Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I wish all of you could have been at the prayer meeting where Uh, Gabe spoke on this verse and uh, just did a wonderful job. When you have a friend, we all have blind spots. A good friend will point out blind spots, and those are faithful wounds. A good friend will come to you and help you uh, see things that you're not seeing, harmful things in your life. 
And so the Bible talks about the importance uh, of friends. And so God uses friends to strengthen, to help, to expand one's ability to serve. And God has brought a young man by the name of Jonathan. Verse 1 of chapter 18, now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. These two were kindred spirits. Now, this isn't, when I was a boy, the big thing was poking your finger, getting a little blood, mixing it with your friend's blood, and you became blood brothers. I have three or four blood brothers in independence. Um, <laughs> then I, well, they moved on, and who knows where they are. But this isn't a childish thing. This is two young men making a commitment to each other. They are kindred spirits because both of them are courageous men of faith. And I want you to see this in Jonathan's life. Turn, if you would, back to um, 1 Samuel. Um, see here. 14. Um, God... Or Saul has, has this army of 3,000, 1,000 men are with Jonathan, 2,000 men are with Saul, and, and the Philistines um, are encroaching on the land. Uh, they're, they're moving in, moving out Israeli people out of the valleys. And Jonathan decides to take a step. And so his group's on the side of this one cliff, and there's this very narrow um, uh, deep gorge, and the Philistines garrisons on this side. And so Jonathan says to his uh, uh, armor bearer, verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart. Uh, turn yourself, and here I am according to your desire. And so Jonathan goes over, they reveal themselves uh, to, to the men. Verse 12, so the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearers said, come up to us and we'll tell you something. And Jonathan and his armor bearers, uh, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. I had a good friend at Emmaus, he was on maintenance, but he was one of the best to make the Bible live. And he, he told this story from the perspective of Joseph's armor bearer with a sword in his mouth, climbing up that cliff, hand over hand, following Jonathan. And there's Jonathan going, look, two more just peeked over the edge. We're gonna get two more of them. And then a little farther, oh boy, five more over here. Isn't this great? And his armor bearer's going, okay. Jonathan was one of these people who trusted in God, who was courageous. And when he saw David go out and fight that giant, he knew here was a kindred spirit. And so they, they made a covenant together. And uh, true friends, intimate friends, um, Swindoll talks about uh, the characteristics of intimate friendships. And uh, I borrowed this part of it from him. He says, first of all, there's a willingness to sacrifice. Back in chapter 18, verse 4. Um, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his bow, uh, sword, his bow, and his belt. Um, 
there are two aspects here. First, Jonathan was honoring David. In the book of Esther, uh, King Ahasuerus can't sleep. He, he finds out that someone had rescued him from a, a plot by some of his servants to kill him. Haman comes in, and the king Ahasuerus says to Haman, what should I do to a man that the king wants to honor? Haman, thinking he's talking about him, says, you should take a robe that you've worn and put it on this man. You should take a horse that you've ridden and put him on that horse and a crown and, and put it on him and take him through the city with one of your top servants uh, saying, this is what the king does for the one he delights to honor. And he says, go take Mordecai and do it. Um, but did you catch that close? When you want to show honor as a king, you, can, you give them something personal. When they saw David wearing Jonathan's robe, they knew Jonathan was honoring David. Jonathan was transferring some of the honor that he had gained uh, by his uh, victory in battle, by his courage, by his character. And he's putting that on David. He's saying to the ones that, that think highly of him, this is a young man you ought to also honor. And David had no, no armor and so he takes his sword, bow, and, and he gives it uh, to David. Jonathan will find some others, but this is something valuable, something valuable David's going to need. And it, it was a sacrifice for David's benefit. True friends sacrifice for the benefit of their friend. And they don't keep count. Well, I've helped you five times. You've only helped me three. I'm going to turn you down this time. No. You sacrifice for your friend. Secondly, a loyal defense before others. Slip over to chapter 19. That, got a, that singing of the women got under Saul's skin. He's, he's jealous of David. Verse 1, Saul told Jonathan's son and all the servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly divided and delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning. Stay in the secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father and feel where you are, and I'll speak to my father about you. And if I find out anything, I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then um, will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul vowed as the Lord lives, he'll not be put to death. Jonathan takes David's side. He's a loyal defender. He, he guards David from, from threats. Uh, over to chapter 20. In chapter 20, even though Saul has made this commitment, David is not going to die. He, he tries to kill David again. And so David comes to Jonathan and says, listen, he's going to kill me. And Jonathan says, hide. There's this feast day. I'll tell my father I gave you permission not to be here. And uh, so uh, verse uh, 20 um, I'm sorry, verse 30. Then Saul's anger 
burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. David's willing to put his life on the line to defend David. He's loyal to David. This week, I was reading uh, a story about an author. Uh, Jenny Cummings wrote a book called American Dirt. It's a story of a, of a um, Mexican family who are being sought by a, by a drug cartel and they're trying to slip over the border into this country. But Jenny Cummings is, on, is one quarter Puerto Rican and the rest of her relatives are white. And someone got their nose bent out of shape because uh, they, their book wasn't accepted. And so they started a firestorm on social media saying this person's not Mexican. She has no right to write about that subject. This is an offense to, to Mexicans and, and caused such a firestorm that they canceled her tour uh, that she was going to make. Um, and even a couple of her friends who tried to defend her, they took so much heat on social media. The book did well. It was 36 weeks on the, on the top 10 list. Um, it sold uh, 3 million copies around the world. In Mexico, they love it. They teach it in all their, their uh, schools. Um, but this guy was writing two years later, and he was interviewing some of her friends because she got death threats, had to hide out, and they, they talked about it, but they said, don't use our name because we're afraid people will still come after us if we try to defend her. What a contrast to Jonathan, who put his life on the line. This is my friend. He's done nothing wrong. I will defend him to, to my father. The third one is a sympathetic understanding. Swindoll describes this as intimate friends give each other complete freedom to be themselves. Chapter 20, where we are, verse 41. After um, Jonathan realizes his father's going to kill David, he goes out to tell David. Verse 41, when the lad had gone, David arose from the south side, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times. They kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. Jonathan said to David, go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord will be between me and you, between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he arose and departed while Jonathan went back into the city. Um, David couldn't stay, and out of loyalty to his family, Jonathan couldn't go. And they understood that, and they parted. When I was at Emmaus Bible College, I met a guy there, uh, and it was a kindred spirit kind of a deal. We just loved each other, and we made a, a covenant. Hey, we're going to be together. We're going to do ministry together. I was kind of like Robin to his Batman, and, uh, and we said, this is great. We went overseas with Operation Mobilization. He went to Italy. I went to Turkey, 
And, but we said, you know, maybe the Lord will call us to minister. But we just worked really well as a team. And we came back. We did a second six months uh, or uh, semester at Emmaus. And I was sitting in Dave Glock's Life of Christ class and, and getting ready for class. And Russ came to the door and said, come out here, come out here. And so I went out and said, what's wrong? He said, I'm going to Wichita. I said, you're what? He said, you remember that gal that came up here because her boyfriend was up here and she thought he was sweet, getting sweet on another girl and she came up and she's been here uh, the second half of last semester and the first half of this semester. And I said, yeah. And he was. He dumped her and, and with the other girl. He says, well, I love that gal. And she's going back to Wichita. And if she's going to rebound, she's going to rebound with me. And he says, but I got it worked out. I have an uncle that runs a, a big car repair shop. And he's found an apartment. And you and I can move down there and we can work for my uncle. And this will be great. Well, if you know me, you know I have zero mechanical ability. Okay? <laughs> just, just zero. Nothing could be farther from my heart's desire. And we looked at each other. And we knew it was parting. Now, we're still good friends. We still uh, talk on the phone. We still, uh, every time I'm down Wichita Way, I try to look him up. He invited me down a couple times to speak to, to something he had going on. Um, but it was a party. And it was a good party. He's been married 50 years to that gal and has three kids. Uh, and it was good for me to continue on at Emmaus. But sometimes you understand that being a real friend, you don't try to force them into something that's not best for them. And David and Jonathan understood that. David had to go. Jonathan really couldn't. And then lastly, a constant source of encouragement. Chapter 23, beginning at verse 14. 1 Samuel 23, verse 14. David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds, remained in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horus. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horus and encouraged him in the Lord. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul my father will not find you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul my father knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in Horus, while Jonathan went to his house. Jonathan comes and encourages, literally uh, the Hebrew says, strengthens his hands in God. Reminding David of God's promises, renewing their covenant with one another, uh, the encouragement of friends. It, it, I read a lot of missionary stories, and almost in all of them, there's, they want to go to the mission field, there's obstacles in the way, and God raises up someone to encourage them. God can do it. Keep your trust in God. And here's Jonathan. God's going to fulfill his word. You're going to be king. Hang in there. Trust God. When Jonathan is killed and word of Saul and Jonathan's death reaches David, David chanted a lament in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 to 27, of David... Uh, of Jonathan, David saying in verse 26, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. 
your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. A tribute to all the years of their unbroken friendship. The homosexual community has tried to turn that into a homosexual relationship. But this is a male-dominated society where men were with men. Um, and David says, you know, what I had with David, or what I had with Jonathan was, was so good. It was so close. Our love was, was so uh, solid. I could trust myself to him. So I want you to look at those four characteristics of a friend. Let me ask you, are you a friend to someone? As you measure some of your friendships, as you think about people that you're friends with, are you a friend? Swindoll says this kind of a friend you only have once, twice, maybe maybe three times in your whole life. But, but these, this is God's kind of standard of friendship, what he wants to see us do. Do you have any friends like this? Do you have any friends that, that you know if you're in need, they're going to be there for you? If, if you're struggling with something, they got your back. They come along and encourage you in spiritual things. Um, they understand when you, they don't see it quite your way. And everybody knows you're wrong if you don't see it my way, right? Um, do you ha are you that kind of a friend? Do you have that kind of a friend? David cultivated friends. Nathan the prophet who could come and wound him because faithful are the wounds of a friend. Hushai, who's described as David's friend, who risked his life during Absalom's revolt. We're much, we're much more understanding of Jonadab, uh, David's brother Shammah's son, who went to Ammon when Ammon looked like he was going to be the next king and told him how he could uh, <clears throat> win Tamar and then when it became Ammon wasn't going to be uh, the guy he switched his allegiance to Absalom and he knew Absalom was going to kill Ammon and didn't tell Ammon but he told David when the other king's sons were rushing back don't worry David don't worry Absalom only killed Ammon that's some friend to have isn't it David in his psalms I hope You'll take the time to read as we go through this study. Just start, and every time you see a Psalm of David, just read it through and think about some of the lessons you can learn out of David's 75 Psalms. See, David um, talked about friends and what he looked for regarding people he allowed around him. Uh, here are some verses where he says, nope, not my friend. Psalm 26, 4 and 5, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. Psalm 101, verses 4 to 5 and verse 7, a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. 
Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. Verse 7 goes on. He who practices deceit shall not deal within my house. Who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Another thing you can look for is, is David will often talk about people and then he'll say, as for me. And it's always a contrast. Here's the way these guys are. As for me, that's, that's, you're not going to be my friend. David knew that friendships have power in one's life. Proverbs 22, verses 24 to 25 say, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, and then listen to this, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. When you let friends into your life, and I'm talking about this kind of intimate friend, you're giving them power in your life. And so be aware. You can have acquaintances, but real friends, David said, there's some things that just say, not my friend. And then there are some who are friend-worthy. Back to Psalm 101, verse 6, right in the middle of those three other verses. My eyes will be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way, and that word blameless is that word integrity, a way of integrity, uh, is the one who will minister to me. And that word integrity, it, when we looked the first week, God said David was a man of integrity. David said, I look for men of integrity. I want to surround myself with men of integrity. Psalm 37, 37, mark the blameless man. Again, that word integrity. And behold the upright. There's another word that was used in 1 Kings 9, 4 when David was talking to Solomon. Your father David, he was a man of integrity. He was a man who was upright in his ways. And David says, behold the upright, for the man of peace will have posterity. Friends matter. Friends matter. Look for good friends. Be the kind of friend God wants you to be. There's one last verse we want to look at in the closing minutes. The scripture says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And you get a picture of that in Jonathan. But really... The one that verse speaks of is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus comes into our life and those four character traits that we talked about. Oh, oh I just did it the wrong way. Okay, those four character traits that, can you, are you possible to pull that back up? Ah, look, you did it all the way. Good. Um, oh, then I did it. A willingness to sacrifice. Was the Lord Jesus a friend to you at the cross? He was my friend. That was my sin he bore. And the Lord Jesus was willing to sacrifice for me. And to all who come to him, that sacrifice was made. He doesn't force you to become his friend. But he invites you. He says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But the Lord Jesus, um, sacrifice. 
The Lord Jesus uh, is a loyal defender. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, I have an advocate. When I sin, I have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous in heaven. The Lord Jesus defends me against the uh, slander of the devil. The Lord Jesus defends me in the presence of, of God. He's loyal to me. The Lord Jesus has a sympathetic understanding. It says that we draw near to the throne of grace because we have a sympathetic high priest. He knows what we're going through, yet without sin. And he understands. And he comes alongside my life. And I can say to the Lord, this is hard. I can say to the Lord, I don't want to do this. And the Lord understands that. And the Lord encourages me. You can't do this, but you can with me. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, you will miss the greatest friendship this world has ever known. I thought about having us end with a song, but, but we won't. There's some wonderful songs. There's no friend like the lonely Jesus. A lot of songs that speak about the friendship of the Lord Jesus. But every one of those characteristics that God highlights, you can look at the life of the Lord Jesus. You can look at your relationship with the Lord Jesus. And when the Lord Jesus comes and points out something in your life, you can always count that it's the faithful wounds of a friend. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, not only are you missing heaven because your sin will, will take you to a lost eternity, but in this life you are missing the best friend you'll ever have. And you'll be poorer for it. If you're here, he's that kind of friend for you. Are you being that kind of friend to him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. There is a friend, a great friend, our Lord Jesus. And we thank you for this friend that you raised up for David to help him through these various difficult times in order to help us in a world that's so lonely, so broken, to be people who minister as, as real friends uh, to those around us, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.